Had one year shock in in trepin dolphus naughty mob niche words, she was going rock a chair, she's dumb road at a chair, shock and a tucky dumb door, or daughter, cut the guard of a mullyasa, cut the guard of a mullyasa, cut the guard of a mullyasa. Had one year shock, shock and shock on all tatter, mrashidia, for when you.
You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and I'm delighted to be sitting and chatting with Padraig Inniúl Khan. And uh, uh, the reason I wanted to reach out to Padraig is because she has both music and print. And she has just finished. Uh, she's got a pile of orders in for uh, her new CD, Seven Daughters of the Sea. And it also, uh, there is a book. And it's given the time of the year, we're in December. And people often wonder, what can I give somebody for Christmas? And, you know, if you give somebody a gift of music or literature, you're helping everybody. You're helping the artist and you're helping the, helping the recipient. Padraigin I'm delighted to be here. Padraigin, you have a long career in music. Um, and as you and I were chatting a little before, and I said I had you won your uh, CDs in my library, and you said, that's gone way back. Um, when, did you, when did you start? I'm, I'm 30 years recording. And I'm 25 years professional. I gave up my teaching 25 years ago to go full-time professional as a musician. And so I've been, I've recorded 10 albums and my last one about two weeks ago was, was released. So that's and in, the span of it. And in doing that, you, um, you chose a path less traveled in that you record Australia and uh, the, it would be, very much a niche market. So giving up a teaching career to go professional would have been taking a risk. It was t- it was a very much a risk, and I was the main earner as a teacher because I was married to Len Graham, who was a singer as well. So it was, you could say it was verging on being foolish. But I had enough awareness through various tragedies in the family, realise that you have to be true to yourself and you have to be true to what you need to do regardless of the income. And then I also believe that when you do the right thing by yourself, things fall into place. And I also knew that I could substitute teaching if I needed. I have not taught for one single day since then. So what I believed proved true, that when you do the right thing by yourself, it all falls into place. So I made the comment that it was a, it's a niche market. So reaching a niche market... Or, or some would say a niche, um, reaching a niche market requires an awful lot more work, patience, perseverance, and everything else. So to start out having been a teacher and to say, this is the nut I'm going to crack, um, you're not, you don't start out with a degree in cracking a niche market. So how do you go, how do you go about something like that? I didn't even think like that. Irish is my first language, even though I never actually lived in the Gaeltacht. It is my first language and it's my first love. And I always find that I sing better in Irish, I think, anyway. And it all sort of organically grew from there. So when I was a teacher, I realized there was very little of worth for young people and for families and for teachers that, you know, there's guitars out of tune and poor voices and condescending to young people. So I felt at that time there was a real need to do a proper recording for, for, for families that could listen together, not as a teaching aid, but purely as a piece of art. And um, that was a story, a story 30 years ago. And then from then, I was a Shano singer. I am a Shano singer, though I do recordings with a compliment. I diversify, I give workshops, I got residencies, I did research, 
So it all sort of was part of the big pool of being a professional musician. And then funding came along. The more work I did, the more my track record improved, the more funding was available. So there's good funding available in the Arts Council in the south of Ireland at the moment. Uh, and I'm from the south. So that's all very beneficial. And then awards come depending on the work and all the rest. So it is possible. It mm-hmm. certainly is possible. But it means diversifying. But I didn't go back to full-time employment. I did fall back on residencies. I had a good residency in Queen's University in Belfast, uh, supported by First Nagoya and Queen's in the Seamus Heaney Centre. And I was working alongside poets there, which was very sort of stimulating and challenging and interesting. So there was, I was, I've never been stuck. Mm. The other thing uh, from that audience perspective is that your international appeal would also be niche. So the ability to take your craft and your voice abroad wouldn't, uh, that also would have presented you with a good bit of effort, I would think. I suppose I left that to the to Gaelin and the early record companies. At that time, record companies did all the work for you, so they would have promoted you abroad. And I didn't feel the need to travel much. I, I'm more a bit like Enya. <laughs> I'm quite happy to do the recordings, and I don't don't you know I loved singing in public, and I loved diversifying and singing with various musicians. But it was always difficult because I had the very best of musicians on the recordings and the very best of musicians are always very, very busy. So when you come along then to tour, they could be, you know, sort of working and all the rest. And I found that very difficult because I was I was very hard to please. I really wanted the best. and I loved working with the best. So I felt that was challenging. So I really concentrated my energies on recording mainly and writing and researching the sound tradition of my own area and publishing the book that you referred to, A Hidden Ulster, um, People's Songs and Traditions of Oria, was a major piece of research. And from that grew um, the, the re- restoration of the songs from my own area. So I restored between 40 and 50 songs, which are now being sung in the locality. And the sound tradition is in a very healthy state in my own locality as a result of that so that took up a, up, up a lot of work and then as a result of the publication of the book came the, the website orialarts.com which is a source website which accompanies the book so there was a that was a major project so I had major projects as I went along and interspersed with that I was composing my own work and I have three albums of my own compositions mainly in Irish you talk about diversifying and um, when you do your own compositions, would you see yourself steeped in tradition? And by that, I mean that your style of writing would refer back more to the old Shannos. And where I'm coming from on this is that, you know, in order for something to survive and to be vibrant and alive, there is a need to engage changing generations, different demographics. And I often refer to Kalash de Lurgan as doing mm-hmm. a wonderful job in taking what is pop music, translating it into Irish and engaging kids in a way with enthusiasm. Yes, that was very, that's very positive. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And what, in my case, I had to be true to my own influences. And my influences are traditional 
I listen a lot to Indian music over the, over since for a long, long, long time. Church music, chanting. So all these influences and shanos, of course, are are that's my source influence. I was never a pop singer and even when I was in boarding school the rest of the school were allowed to watch Top of the Pops and I think I was the only one who didn't watch Top of the Pops maybe because I didn't like the herd mentality but you know I regret now that I didn't because I would have been part of that Rolling Stone Beatles wave of enthusiasm but um, I find in Ireland in Irish language you have in Connemara um, uh, some great songwriters writing very much in the country music style. There's very little being being com- been written or newly composed in Shanos, mm-hmm. and then you have tr- a lot of translations of pop music, and you have a certain amount of material um, written for children. There are a lot of poets writing in, Ir- in Irish in Ireland, but there are very few composing songs in that sort of genre that are semi poems, sort of as well. Um, but I, I, yes, I'm very much influenced by the tradition. But in this new album, I've pushed the boundaries out a bit. So I'm working with an Indian Bansuri player, a classical musician. I'm also working with Steve Vai, the famous uh, electric guitar, rock guitarist from California, which I had quite an extraordinary, you know, interaction with him. He recorded one of my songs from A Story's A Story on his album, The Story of Light, the seventh track. And at that time, he said to me, if ever I did an album of my own work, that he would happily contribute as a guitarist. And he has on the title track, Seven Daughters of the Sea, which is, you know, drawing the East and West together, male and female, the influences of tradition. And the poem that I sing that in that song with Steve I is from the 6th century Ireland. So it sort of goes into a, another sort of stratosphere with him. Now, you there's traces of chant and tradition in it, but he very much brings rock, the rock influence into it, you know. So, um, yes, I've pushed the boundaries out on Seven Daughters of the Sea. Talking about a hidden Ulster, people, songs, and traditions of Oreo. Um, certainly on this side of the Atlantic, the concept of Ulster is not well understood, uh, and the difference between Ulster and the north of Ireland would not be well understood. Um, in doing research and in finding a hidden Ulster, were there aspects of regions within Ulster that became very prominent in style and in nuance with music? Yes, the area, the relevant area in relation to a hidden Ulster, the book, is Oriel, which is cross-border as we know the border. It uh, encompasses parts of County Louth, County Armagh, County Monaghan, and there are no set boundaries to Oriel. It moved over the centuries. But the language in the Oriel region, region was Ulster, the poets thought of themselves as Ulster. The musicians were Ulster. The dialect was Ulster. The dialect in Oriel, in County Loud, was closer to Donegal than it would have been to the rest of Leinster. So that's why it was called a hidden Ulster, because County Loud was, you know, originally a part of Ulster. And in that particular region, there was a continuous uh, writing of poems from about the mid-17th century right up to the mid-19th uh, century. And poets like Seamus Dal McCourtha, Art McCoy, Padre O'Dernin, 
Cahal Buima Gilagana from Monaghan Cabin was in the area as well. And they wrote a lot of, most of their poetry was written to be sung. So a lot of that had filtered into the songs of the people. And the it was an Irish-speaking area. The last Irish speaker in that area died around 1963, I think, or 69 maybe, 1969. So uh, it, th- this was continuous. Until the language died, all that died with it or went underground, so to speak. It was almost like a collective societal Alzheimer's, loss of memory. Fortunately, in the area, because of the strong literary poetic tradition for 200 years, collectors came in as the language was dying out to collect the last remnants. So you would get one collector interested in machinery for recording, old as a, the old wax cylinders. Another collector might be interested in phonetics. Another collector was interested in lyrics. Another connector, collector was interested in music, writing down music, though very little of the music. So it was all in disparate uh, collections throughout the country in various places. And my job was to go researching for that found the music in one place, found the lyrics in another place, made sense of titles, what the lines were from poems, and re-sold um, this tradition back into a collection of songs that I was able to interpret, because I am a singer, and when you've grown up with tradition, it's not like reading music off a page, it's more internalised when you're interpreting it. And then the next step was recording it, and then the next step was the website, so really, it was the teacher in me came out. I began to spoon feed the tradition so that there was no excuse if for anybody who was interested not to make it easy for them, so much easier than it had ever had been for me. So uh, that's was that's the story behind the Hidden Ulster. And Podrigan, your, your source, sorry, your source materials then, how accessible were they and um were they in the one place, or how easy was it for you to find your source materials? They were all, that's what I'm saying, they were all over the place. They were in the Royal Irish Academy, they were in UCD, Trinity, um, the Queen's, um, private collections, photographs. I got them from glass plates from old boxes that my father had in the roof space. I discovered when I held them up to the light, I recognised the f- uh, faces of the old singers. So, no, they were all over the place. It was an intensive two or three years of really what's called hardcore research. In, as an independent researcher, I wasn't doing a PhD. I wasn't working with the university. It was pure love for, and a, a, a compulsion to rescue this material before it was too late. And it had an extraordinary effect on the next generation in the area. They have embraced it. They own it. I'm almost airbrushed from it. It is now theirs. They're singing the songs. They're going to the Arachthus competitions, Arachthus Nagelga. They're competing against Gaelic singers. They're winning awards and cups and coming back. So they, you know, I don't think they're fully aware of what the loss was because it's it's been so accessible for them. All they have to do is listen to my recordings. And it's interesting, the songs that I haven't recorded are not being sung. The songs that I have recorded are being sung. So that's a proof in itself that the recordings were as important as the book itself. Well, I guess that ties in somewhat with the Irish tradition because I always understood that by the Irish folklore, or the, the tradition was transmitted vocally, verbally, as distinct from on paper. And uh, we have a tendency to absorb easier what we hear rather than necessarily 
with the patients necessary to study. Yes, absolutely. That's very true. It was an oral tradition, and that's what, what what I had in mind. What I did in the book as well, I get translations of all the poems, 54 songs. Of all the songs, I get translations, and the, where I got the music, as well as that the traditions that were associated with the songs, like calendar customs, fair days, uh, you know, anything that the history of the area, anything. I piled into 540 pages as much material as I could that I came across because I knew it was going to be a one-off. So the, the, the stories and the translations helped people, even Irish speakers, understand the material so much better. And Padre Gain, this book was first published 20 years ago, and you're now into a fourth reprinting. Yes. Uh, which, uh, two sides to that. One, aside from the personal satisfaction that you get from seeing that it goes to a reprint, do you have a desire or do you feel a need to update anything that was in there? That Has anything happened in the last, or have you acquired anything in the last 20 years that I, would I, have caused you to edit? I could have added more songs to it, but I didn't. I edited, I updated maybe the the odd error, um, or in factually, because I really was covering a lot of ground, especially in biographies. I get biographies of all the singers, all the collectors, so all the harpists, all the poets. So there's bound to be the, the odd thing. So I updated it about two years ago in one of the the prints. It was updated, but not added to. Right, right. So given the time of the year we're in, we're going to share some music. Um, and uh, probably the title track should say Daughters of the Sea but if anyone wants to get their hands on book, albums um, we need to provide them with all the necessary housekeeping details because in this day and age that's important and if uh, somebody is on this side of the Atlantic um, there would be shipping costs associated with having a book sent to them etc. Yes, they, that's that's something that we ha- I ordered material from the US as well, and I just have to you know take take grin and bear it. Yes, the, everything is available from the website irishsong.com. dot um, I I would also might suggest maybe the first track since this very much is traditional oriented. The first track on the album is the Great Mother. Okay, and it, it honors. The, the great mother, uh, you know, who's who's the, who's the goddess of winter, the grandmother, the great mother, and it's very light and accessible, and you know, I like it myself. I also love Seven Daughters of the Sea, but I could lose a few fans when they okay. hear Steve when they hear Steve I on the electric guitar. <laughs> the only thing about the mother of winter is that. Uh, and a Canadian perspective, we have the mother and father of winter, so it's not what we would have the same light, lightness of attitude to it that you might have. <laughs> also, it's, it's my oriel response to Connemara's Kailachan Arigach, She the Womak Moi, the Hag with the Money. I yeah. have rewritten a song starting with She is my Mamo, but she is the goddess of winter and the goddess of the landscape. Well, the goddess of winter seems to have a beef with us in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> go out and honour her and she'll be good to you <laughs> you're good so yes so if anyone wants to get anything that's the website you need to go to that's irishsong.com and uh, there will be and that's unfortunate I know on push are, can be quite uh, expensive in shipping but when it's you, you accept that the contents are what are well worth it um, 
I know I have acted as a mule for a friend of mine for some stuff at times when there have been yeah, on my trips home bringing stuff and bringing stuff back and so uh, that's also a, a good me- method to get it across the Atlantic. If you wanted, if people were asking me, I had to reprint it because they were asking me for it. But I should say the book is in English. The lyrics yes. are in Irish and they're translated, but the book itself is in English. And everything I do, I translate. Even Seven Daughters of the Sea has a booklet of the 10 songs with translations and notes. So nobody is left, nobody's excluded. I'm big into inclusion. Padrigin, do you want to tell us a little bit about the contributors to the album? Well, I was very fortunate to have my nephew, uh, the fiddler, Don O'Connor, as the producer. And he did extraordinary work and he's amazing as mixer and, you know, he's a wonderful imagination and a, and a multi-instrumentalist. And then I had Steve Cooney as well. I worked with Steve Cooney on two other albums. He produced two of mine and he was very much to the fore on this album as well. I had my son, Machdara, doing, Machdara Graham doing overtones and vocal Finn Moore, the piper from Scotland, is on it as well. So, uh, and the Indian um, Bansuri player, Rajat uh, Prasanna, is on it. Absolutely exquisite playing. And Steve I, of course. So there's about six musicians myself. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I know the listener will enjoy hearing that also. Fantastic. It's been a fantastic chatting with you. Thank you very much indeed. Wishing you and all of yours a very happy Christmas. And uh, hopefully uh, a wonderful 2024. And the same to you, Austin. Go to my head. Shima wamoi, shimama meyaji, imama moama, imama nkriwar. Shima wamoi, shiboru na hoige, ibyok na baha, anishiskajo. Shinshan wari marga mari nina maris marwari. Shima hakshin shiri glunun lunta kishla nagishla abuluna kri. Shima wamoi shimama mayaji imama moama imama priwar. Shima wamoi shiboruna hoi ibyokna baha kanishis Shima wamoi 